The watch industry has gone through significant change in the last few years. The markets that see the highest penetration of smart wearables, we're still only around 50%. So there's a lot of growth that can still come. With smart wearables challenging the mechanical timepiece. These two worlds can perfectly live together. It's not one against the other. But how does what we wear on our wrist affect what we do with our time? What does it mean for our well-being? It's even beyond pressure from humans. We also have pressures from technology. I'm Tom Parker, and welcome to the Next 5 podcast, brought to you by the FT Partner Studio. In this series, we ask industry experts about how their world will change in the next five years and the impact it will have on our day-to-day. In this episode, we're looking at the watch market, focusing on the Swiss luxury sector and wearable tech, trying to understand what our relationship is with time and the role watches have in a digitally dominated future. From the existence of primitive sundials and water clocks in Egypt around 1500 BC, our fascination and obsession with time was set. Over the centuries, portable clocks, pocket watches and wristwatches allowed people the chance to carry time around with them, many of which turned into status symbols. The luxury of portable time afforded to only those who could. The timepiece has evolved with our societal needs, as has the industry surrounding it. In 2022, the global watch market was worth $71 billion, and in five years' time expected to reach $98.6 billion. When Apple launched its Apple Watch in 2015, the traditional watch industry was under immediate threat. In 2019, Apple Watches alone outsold the entire Swiss watch industry, and today Apple still sells more watches in one quarter than the Swiss industry does in a year. But, according to a Morgan Stanley report, sales of Apple Watches are plateauing, and the Swiss watch sector enjoyed its best year in terms of value in 2022, mainly due to an increase in exports to the US worth $28 billion. So how does a quartz or mechanical device compete with a multi-operational one that can tell you more than time. So what we can say is over the course of the last five, six years, we've seen a huge arrival of new kinds to the world of watchmaking. This is Francois-Henri Benamias, CEO of Audemars Piguet. And call this watchmaking at large because it could go from the Audemars Piguet of the world to the Swatch of the world. But basically, we've seen a huge boom. I could challenge anyone working in the watch industry in Switzerland to say, that we saw it coming. Nobody saw it coming that way because it came mainly from a generation that we thought would actually be dead for the switch watch making industry because they would either never wear watches again or they would wear smart watches. Guess what? We were all wrong on that topic. And so we saw this rise of young kids. I'm talking about kids as well, from the age of 15 to the age of 20, 25 years old that fell in love with watchmaking and became our top ambassadors, not only for the Marpiguet, but for many other watch companies, and brought their parents into the picture of, oh, by the way, it might be cool to uh, collect watches, one. And the second thing is, during the COVID years, many people thought about, okay, what could I do with my money? And few people found out that it could be actually very interesting and smart to build a watch collection 
And if done the right way, you could create serious value. And then a few people started more and more and more. And we saw this rise of people wanting to get access to watches. And then we saw the prices going to the roof, which from my perspective was not such great news because when you see such a rise and so fast and so high, you know for a fact at some point it's going to adjust. With the advent of wearable tech over the last decade, what is on our wrist does more than tell the time. So personally, I think wearables are a hugely exciting topic. This is Andreas Zimmer, head of product for Huawei Europe. Because if you think about it, they actually encompass a lot of things that in the past might have been considered you know, science fiction. If you look at where we came from eight years ago to today, a lot has changed. I think that the fundamental reason why we wear something on our wrist is firstly to tell the time. But if, if that's all you want to do, then all you need is a very, very basic watch. You could probably buy a watch that tells the time for $10 or, or maybe even less in some cases. So is that the reason why we buy a, a watch? Probably not so much. We look for other things. We look for things like design and style to, to express who we want to be seen as. And in the case of smart wearables, we look for, for the utility that the wearable gives us. So for example, if we are concerned about our health, we might buy a wearable to help us collect data about ourselves, collect data on how our heart rate develops over time, and maybe collect data on our sleep and sleep quality. And we do this through the wearable. If we're, for example, into sports, then we might get a wearable that helps us actually track those sports and, and track our progress. For example, as we train for a marathon, we want to make sure that we, we have this kind of progression. And then the wearable kind of takes a role of a, a coach on your wrist in a sense. But this is very different to why you would get a luxury Swiss watch or an entry-level quartz watch in the first place. François-Henri, what has been the challenges in recent years for the industry in regards to the rise of wearable competition? Zero. Absolutely zero in the sense of, I always say these two worlds can perfectly live together. It's not one against the other. If someone wants to wear a smartwatch because he wants to check his steps every day or his heartbeat or all those type of things, that's one type of vibe that you have. A guy that loves mechanical movements, which have been made for ages by watchmakers and everything is done manually, it's a completely different world. It's like comparing a three-star Michelin world and McDonald's. No judgment at all. Zero. But you can enjoy both, actually. I've seen people buy and the smartwatch and the, the real watches, I would say. But at the end, they, they end up making a choice. And so far, the choice is going much more in our favor. I'm not saying that the smartwatch's world is not booming because it is booming in a crazy way and it's going to keep increasing but with the volumes that we manufacture every year and for the other watchmaking brands the same way we'll never be able to supply up to the demand the way it goes down because we are 50,000 watches which means we are a small 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 drop in this huge ocean of number of watches made in Switzerland every year. Gen Z are the most digitally savvy generation. One third of all iPhone owners in the US are from this generation. They also far outpace older generations in their use of health-related wearables, with 30% of Gen Z surveyed use wearable tech that gives them health information and leads their decision to purchase over a status symbol. 
They also have a huge purchasing power, with Oxford Economics predicting that by 2030, they will command $2 trillion of purchasing power. So Gen Z certainly are a very important consideration when looking forward. But for smart wearables, we actually see an uptake across the entire population. And in fact, we did some research last year and actually found that the uptake of smart wearables among older generations was in some areas even faster than for younger generations. And specifically, this happened during the pandemic. I think the reason for that is that during the pandemic, a lot of people actually started actively tracking their vitals and health stats and trying to interpret what they mean. So this is something that we definitely saw. But as we look into the future, we, we do see that the likelihood that someone from uh, Generation Z will walk down the road with a high-end luxury watch will depend greatly on their personal purchasing power. And with a smart wearable, again, you, you will have a different kind of utility, right? And a lot of people from Gen Z, without wanting to generalize too much, are definitely interested in things like versatility. That's something that smartwatches definitely offer because think of changing watch faces to fit your style or, or mood on, it, on that day. That's something that you can really only do with smartwatches. But also, again, health and sports tracking. This will be maybe a little bit more personal, but it is a utility that is being offered by a smartwatch that the uh, traditional watch can't offer. Still, they'll both be able to tell the time. François Henri, your thoughts. Are Gen Z an opportunity or a threat to the Swiss watch market and Audemars Piguet? I always want to look at the glass half full. For me, it's only an opportunity, and I'm going to tell you why. Let's look at the global population today. We are 8 billion people on the planet. Now, we're going to take the 1% of this global population, 80 million people. You know what? Let's divide that number by four. Let's make it 20 million. And this, in this 20 million, give me maybe 40% of them being Gen Z. Okay, so 8 million. Okay, 50 thousand watches, 8 million potential clients. And I'm talking about the top of the top of the top. If some of them don't want to wear the Piguet, I think we're going to find others. In our modern world of productivity, our entire lives have become dependent on accurate timekeeping. Simon Sinek, author and inspirational speaker, said, time is a commodity that must be spent. It cannot be saved and we cannot earn more. So what is our relationship with time now that it's commoditized and there is competition on our wrists? So I think our modern relationship with time is very, very economic. So we see time as being a resource which we need to utilize well. This is Dr. Ruth Ogden, Associate Professor of Experimental Psychology at Liverpool John Moores University, where she researches all aspects of how we experience and process time. So I think Simon Sinek's comment is exactly right in the way that people think about time, particularly in this day and age. Objectively, time is a limited resource, but how we spend it determines how we experience it. And maybe what we need to do is to start thinking about that element of time more than the productive commercial utilization of time. So I think if you look right back to the real olden days, like the Stone Age and maybe even before then, you've got this situation in which people aren't really aware of time in the way that we are. So we are micro aware of time. We know every second, every minute, 
every hour is planned out for us. You know, your schedule might extend years in advance. Think back when there weren't any available ways of measuring time. You might have lived in a tiny village where there was no clock. Or you might have lived in a city where you were listening out for St. Paul's ringing out the hours for you. So we're in a situation now where we have such a high level of temporal awareness in comparison with our ancestors. And that is changing the way in which we function as a society. And I think we're almost at a crunch point now with our relationship with time and technology. We've come out of COVID and COVID has, I think, fundamentally changed our relationship with time. COVID was a bit like being in a time prison. The reality of it quickly hit home. All of a sudden, you don't have control over your time. Your time is just there existing and it's dragging really slowly for most people because it's super boring and it's quite stressful. And all of a sudden, we're aware of the fact that, well, time is limited. I think that the, the Simon Sinek quote is great, but up until COVID, we probably didn't really understand it. And now we do. Now we understand what it's like to have time taken away from us. I think that's fundamentally changed how we feel about time. For me, I was thinking about this earlier, wouldn't it be novel if smartwatches were obsessed with your time instead of your fitness? Like, wouldn't that be a radical idea? So rather than my smartwatch telling me, oh, you know, like, get up and do something, what if my smartwatch was telling me, well, actually, you know, any work that you do beyond this point is unpaid work because you've done your working hours. So what if it said, like, go and do something that you enjoy with your time or you seem quite stressed, time might be passing quickly for you, calm down. Like, is this the future of the watch? That the watch is no longer necessarily a way for us to feel pressured, but it's a system which alerts us to the fact that we need to, to stop and we need to slow down and we need to regain ownership. So with such a rich history, what role do watches have in our digitally dominated future? Whether it's traditional or wearable tech, the status of a watch is evolving. Is what we do with our time affected by the tool that gives us it? I think that the extent to which people want to buy a digital watch is going to be dependent on whether that digital watch is still giving them some level of satisfaction. And I think that what we can conclude about our relationship with time at the moment is that it is a strained relationship. So there is not quite enough of time for most people. For some people, there's far too much. But again, that's the, that's the same problem from a different angle. So if we want people to continue buying any form of watch, whether it's digital or analog, we need to look at our relationship with time and we need to see how we find a harmonious relationship with time. I don't envisage a situation in which people are going to never buy analog watches again. I don't think it's realistic. They're more beautiful. They look nice. To me, they represent time and time again. Someone has crafted it and the history and all the sort of knowledge and the intricacy of an analog watch that you're never going to get in a digital watch. It will always just be a screen. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll tell me something different. But I think what may be a more interesting question is why do we need a digital watch? So we have time everywhere. We have it on our phone. We have all the functions of a watch on our phone. So why do we need a digital watch? What's the purpose of it? It doesn't look pretty. Oh, well, sort of, but not quite as much in my mind. So why have we got it? And I think that's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is that if they want people to carry on buying digital watches, they need to make them beneficial and not just about physical activity and not just about being contactable all the time. 
because hopefully society will realize that they are not necessarily the be-all and end-all of a good day. François-Henri, your thoughts? The way the wearables are now are still at the infant stage of what they should become. And I'm all in favor of extremely smart, not smart, extremely smart wearables. I'm going to give you an example. Few days before you get a heart attack, your skin pH changes. Doctors are telling you this. If tomorrow through a wearable, you get an indication that within 48 to 72 hours, you've got 90% of chances to get a heart attack, I'm all in favor. If a wearable is about counting my 10,000 steps a day, couldn't care less. So if it becomes something where there is some serious information that could help save lives or that could help potentially older people getting help when they are alone in their homes or all the type of things, sure. And eventually, eventually, that the day we could implement the, those technologies in our bracelets, listen to this, not in our mechanisms, because then it would be selling our soul. No, implement this in our bracelets, strap or gold or stainless, whatever you want. I would be all in favor of. But still today, the, the size of these things is so big that it would affect the integrity of the aesthetic of the product. So it doesn't really work. But one day it will. So we'll see. And eventually, we also know that 5, 10, 15 years from now, we will not need to wear something on our wrist to get measured and to get the right measures of everything. It's got to be maybe even inside us or on clothes. We're going to see a, a, an evolution in technology which is so huge. We shouldn't look at, oh, we might die because the wrist is occupied already. Because I'm a firm believer that the wrist is not the end of the game at all. For wearables, at some point it's going to be in us. Andreas. So I certainly think that the role of the wrist watch, aside from telling you the time, is to actually express your personality to an extent and to be a part of fashion on your wrist. And that's also what we see if we look at the, the watch industry, right? I mean, the, the watch industry is a very old industry and they've still always managed to develop new designs. And a watch looks different now to what it looked like maybe a century ago. And that shows that there's lots of innovation and thought going into these products. And so I think that that is going to continue into the future as well. The role that smartwatches, on the other hand, are going to play is, is probably to supplement this and to give users a way to do different things in different kinds of moments, right? So maybe there are moments in your life where you want to go for a run, want to be motivated to get up from your desk. And that's something that a traditional watch is not going to be able to, to give you. You would need a second device, program something on your, on your smartphone. But that's something that we can do with a smart wearable pretty easily. Now, if you still want to wear a luxury timepiece out for dinner and you, you might want to disconnect for that time, then there's probably still a very good role for you to wear that. So what do the next five years look like? François-Henri. There are a lot of things going on in the world today. And normally I'm a very optimistic person, but I see things happening in terms of, obviously, environment, all the issues that we know about, social issues that we see arising everywhere on the globe. And because of that, so I see really potentially a crisis coming and that could affect not Audemars Piguet or not the wearables that could affect the entire business, basically. 
which is also why when we are in those type of years, these are not years where anybody could say, oh, it's going to keep booming for everyone. Everything's going to be great. We're going to see growth by 20% per year for every single company, whether in the watch world, fashion, car, everything. No, I don't see this at all. I see a sort of, uh, the world could shake a little bit. The good news about being an independent company, so not a public one, and being able to adjust volumes accordingly will give us an advantage, no matter what. Because if tomorrow we need to reduce production by five or 10,000 watches because the world is shaking somehow, we can, and that would not affect the integrity of the Audemars Piguet path at all. So we'll see. And what I have to say about the next five years for Audemars Piguet, you know, when I will leave at the end of the year, so my replacement is uh, joining me as of 15th of August, and I will step down as of December 31st. But we have already in the pipeline in terms of collections, events, collaborations, everything is pretty much already put together until 2026 to 27. It doesn't mean that she won't be able to change anything because she will. But in terms of product line and collection, we work three to up to seven years ahead. So we are on a good path. The brand has reached a level of perceived value, which is extremely high. And I say, keep going at it. Don't shake the boat. It's just going nicely so far. Andreas. So, I mean, the, the past years have sort of taught me to try to not predict the future so much, but I'll give it a try anyway. So we still see a lot of potential for smartwatches uptake because, again, the markets that see the highest penetration of smart wearables, we're still only around 50%. So there's a lot of growth that can still come from people actually discovering the utility and the benefit of smart wearables for themselves. And I think that is something that we are looking into. And this can basically be two things. It can be either be lifestyle or it can be health. And in some cases, smart wearables even combine both of them together. What we do see is that people who do use smart wearables start adopting better routines and better lifestyles because they are tracking themselves. You can think of this in in this mantra, what gets measured gets done. And we do see through our research that people who do start tracking their heart rate, their steps, their movement, their sports activities, start actually increasing all of the these kind of activities because they can see that they're actually building on something and getting benefits from it. I think that the role that consumer electronics play in our everyday lives is a very exciting one because consumer electronics have now become part of our everyday lives. And the exciting thing is to actually see what's the next step. So what's the next thing that consumer electronics can do for you to actually have a better life? And working with this day in, day out is a hugely exciting topic. And especially when it comes to smart wearables, there's still so much that can be done and still so much that people can get out of this product. So thinking about this day in, day out is, in my opinion, probably one of the most exciting jobs to have right now. And finally, Ruth. So I think our relationship with time in the near future, so in the next five years, is going to be quite a fraught relationship with time. We're at this battle point, I think, between the desire to be productive, the availability of flexibility within our working environments and our social environments, but also a lack of understanding of how to navigate and develop boundaries within that environment. So I think it's going to be a difficult five years where employers and employees and individuals in their personal time try to find a balance between 
the need to always give their time to someone else and always have their time available to other people and the need to have personal time, which is just theirs, that they have complete autonomy over. I mean, it seems fairly clear there is a huge move towards smartwatches. There is a huge move towards permanent connectivity and the many advantages and disadvantages that it may bring. But one of the things that we might want to think about is how we can change the way that we relate to this permanent connectivity and that we relate to time in a digital era. So do we always want to be available? Do we want the default settings on our smartwatches to be that our email pings us at three o'clock in the morning? Or do we want it to be where we have to actively enable that? So how is this relationship going to shift? One of the things that came out of COVID was that people are more aware of time. So why are we not more timeful? Why are we not aware of our time more and how we spend it and how that makes us feel? And for me, that would be the thing that I would like people to be going forward. I would like them to be timeful, to be aware of their time and to try and spend their time doing things that make them feel good without guilt. Like my watch seems to determine what I'm doing. And is that healthy and is that good? And what does it mean for our well-being and our sense of quality of life? If even beyond pressure from humans, we also have pressures from technology telling us what to do and when to do it. I have a smartwatch, so I have a Garmin and I run with my Garmin, but I actually had to stop it from being a watch when I'm running. So it's not allowed to tell me anything about time while I'm running because I felt like I became obsessed with looking at how long was left in my run. So it is a watch, but I stopped it from telling me any information about time. What we really want is a softer relationship with time where we're not trying to fill it all the time. We're aware of the idea that we don't want to lose it, but we can't do everything all at once. The famous writer William Penn said, Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. Time is finite and is potentially the most valuable commodity on Earth. As Simon Sinek said, we can't earn more. Therefore, our fascination and ability to control time, to use the 24 hours we have in a day in the best way possible, has become an obsession for some and an industry for others. How we tell the time has changed significantly in the last 20 years. Whether it's your computer, phone, microwave or wristwatch, we are able to find out the time from multiple avenues. But the mode of that changes what we do with it. A quick glance at a wristwatch gives you the time. A wearable gives you the option to do multiple things. Order that Uber or cancel a meeting. Fine-made luxury watches still have something over their digital competition. The beauty, design, quality and collectability of the Swiss luxury watch industry is unrivaled. A consumer doesn't just buy one to tell the time, nor do the purchasers of wearable tech, but for different reasons. If you want to put it in terms of time, the nearly 600-year-old Swiss watch industry still has tricks up its sleeve, despite the competition from wearables less than a decade old. But what will the future bring? Only time will tell. <laughs>